stuff. Thanks for the welcome, guys. It was overwhelming. Um, good evening. I think I know you all. If you're here and you're visiting or you're here for the first time, my name's Ben. And along with my wife and I, we lead the church that meets here. It's two services, got the morning, which is very much family uh, focused, but also not. But there are lots of kids running around, um, so we're a bit constrained. So the evening, we like to leave more space so we can have lines of prophecies coming out of our ears in a way that we can't in the morning because we run out of time. And the kids are crawling up the walls by the end of the service, so we have to go get them. So good to have you. Thanks for coming in the evening. I feel like God is doing something significant in the evening. I think there's a real openness to the spirit, which is beautiful. And I met with someone this week who had a prophetic word very similar to those Sarah's last word um, and Brian's word at the beginning. And I think, it, I think it's about um, being able to contain what God is doing here. Um, the beauty of the gospel of grace is that God will work in and through any of us, no matter what's going on, because it's not our own holiness that enables the spirit to flow through us and for stuff to happen. However, there is something about the holiness of God and an intention of holiness or really coming to Jesus constantly every single time and asking for his forgiveness, asking for him to cleanse us, that enables us to go on being used uh, by God in beautiful ways. And I think that's probably a word for us as a service to take seriously this idea of setting ourselves apart, not in a religious sense, not in a pious sense, not in a way that if we mess up, we're going to feel guilty and ashamed because that is not the gospel. God will use every single one of us here, no matter what stage we're at, no matter how holy we feel. But I think in the sense of which we're going to start to see more and more of the temperature rising and of the spirit coming in church, which is a beautiful thing. So that is a word, but probably for us as a body. You'll notice some of the words are individual. <laughs> um, so there'll be certain people here and it really hits you home. And uh, at the end, we'll pray for you. Some of them are corporate, so some of them for us as a church. And it's important to take those seriously and to go for them. If you were here last week, you would have heard me speak about uh, a theology behind how Jesus did what he did. So we talked a little bit about what Jesus does or did, and Luke 4 is a great place to start. So he's got this manifesto. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to uh, open the eyes of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to set the prisoner free, to declare the year of the Lord's favor, which is essentially heaven on earth. So the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then soon after that, we see him living that out. So in Luke's gospel, he's instantly thrust into a situation whereby he is healing somebody from demonic oppression. He's then healing people who are physically unwell. And he goes on demonstrating Luke 4. And it's like proclamation of the gospel, good news of the kingdom of God. You can get into the kingdom of God by grace and grace alone. But then there's signs, demonstrations of the kingdom of God. Here's a healing. Here's a deliverance. Here's somebody who's being set free from oppression. Here's a prisoner who's being released. Here's somebody who's having blindness in their life opened, either physically or metaphorically. And you see that pattern go on throughout the Gospels. And the key question for us, because if you get to the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, um, he sends out his disciples, doesn't he? And he says, go into every corner of every nation of the earth and teach people to obey what I have commanded you to do. 
okay? And presumably in that command that you do to do, it, it would include healing and deliverance. A lot of time Jesus spent doing sorts of things like that. So therefore, in order to be able to do that, we need to be able to ask, well, how did Jesus do what he did? And the little challenge I set last week is, I don't know um, but to what extent our daily life is characterized by people getting healed the whole time when we pray for them or seeing people being uh, released from demonic oppression or having people either literally or figuratively having their eyes open. We see glimpses of that, don't we? And we certainly have testimonies from this church where we start to see that. But for Jesus, it was just this constant flow of being in the spirit, living out and demonstrating Luke 4. So the key question for us is how did he do that? Because he seemed to be able to pass it on to his disciples, and then we see the disciples do it. We see the 12 do it, we see the 72 do it, and then we see in Acts thousands do it. And the kind of often Christians answer that question by saying, well, Jesus was the son of God, which seems a bit unfair. Because if only, if Jesus is, he does it because he's the son of God, it seems a bit unfair for us, doesn't it? Is that are we supposed to do it? We're never going to be like Jesus. And the beauty, as you read the Bible, is that we are the same as Jesus in kind, but we're different in degree. So Jesus emptied himself of certain divine attributes so as to identify with us, so as to, sh- so as to show us what it looks like to be fully human, fully alive, doing what we're called to do. But he is also different from us in that he is sinless. He's perfect in every way. He perfectly obeyed what God was asking him to do. He was filled without measure with the Holy Spirit in a way that we aspire to do as Christians, and we go from one degree of glory to another, as Paul talks about, but it's in a way that really we're not going to see that fully until Jesus comes again or we go to heaven. But there are, last week I talked about some unseen foundations at the baptism of Jesus that if we take seriously, if we take them seriously in our life, we will start to see an increase of Luke 4 type things happening in our daily walk with Jesus. So we'll start to see more people healed. We'll start to see more people delivered from oppression. We'll start to see more people become Christians. The eyes of their heart are suddenly open. We'll start to see more people who are oppressed from mental health issues, from physical ailments, all sorts of things set free as a result. And those three unseen foundations are firstly obedience. So Jesus didn't need to get baptized. The baptism that John the Baptist was offering was a baptism of repentance from sin. Jesus was sinless. He didn't need to get baptized. So why did he do it? He did it because he was obeying what his father was telling him to do. And really, as he did it, it was symbolic of him taking upon himself the sin of the world and, and pointing towards the end of the story, which is, well, not the end, the climax of the story, which is where Jesus dies on the cross and takes upon the sin so that we can be set free. And we learn, as you read the Gospels, that Jesus was able to obey because he, hear, he could hear the voice of the father. And so therefore, prayer is central to everything that he does. Often we read that he took himself away up a mountainside before the day started so as to get the will of the Father. Everything he does, he's doing it in response to what his Father in heaven is asking him to do. So that's unseen foundation number one. If you want to see more of the ministry of Jesus in your life, get good at praying. Get good at hearing his voice, but then get good at putting it into practice. So as you wake in the morning, you say, God, what's this day about? And you get a sense of what you feel like God's saying. Either when you read the Bible, he speaks to you directly about something, or you get a picture, or you get a verse come into your mind, or you just get a sense of someone you're going to meet today that you need to minister some, uh, the kingdom to, heaven to, if you like. It's then us stepping out and doing it. So if you read it, let me just break it down really simply, because that sounds a little bit mysterious. If you read a passage in the morning that's about healing, 
and you're just going through one of the Gospels and you're reading a little chunk every day, I would be expecting in my day to pray for someone for healing. So the other day on Tuesday, I read a passage about healing, and then I was in the Broccoli Barge having meetings. I have all my meetings in the Broccoli Barge, and I got chatting to someone in between meetings, and he basically said to me that he had um, trouble with his hip and down his leg. And instantly I'm like, well, I read that this morning, and I'm asking God for an opportunity to pray for someone for healing. This is my man. And then I said to him, how about I pray for you for healing? And guess what? He was open to it. He's up for it. Most people are. They often are. Did he get healed? I don't know. He didn't say there was any change, but that doesn't matter. I've been obedient to what I felt like God was asking me to do in the morning. So obedience is key. Prayer, obedience. Want to see more of what Jesus did in the Gospels in your own life? Prayer, obedience. Second thing is he knew he was loved. So he operated out of this secure identity. So we read in the baptism that God said to him, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, I'm proud of him. And this is before he's done anything. We make this point all the time in church. He hadn't even started his ministry yet. He was 30 years old, he'd done nothing, absolutely nothing. And then suddenly uh, the baptism happens and there's an explosion of the activity of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew he was loved before he started doing anything. And that's a beautiful thing because then what we realize is we're starting to live out the call on our life without trying to prove ourselves. Because we already know we're sons and daughters of God. We already know that he loves us unconditionally. We already know, crucially, that he's proud of us. So everything that we do in our day is just a response to what we already have. It's a way of worshiping and giving thanks to him and giving it back to him. And then the third unseen foundation of the ministry of Jesus is he was filled with the Spirit uh, With the Holy Spirit, with power, essentially. And so that happens at the baptism. It's like a dove that alights on him, it says. And then he goes on and he gets up and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. And he says, doesn't he, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And then the famous passage that we know. What is anointing? Anointing is a purpose. So Luke 4 is the purpose, that that little passage from Isaiah, but it's not just a purpose, it's the power to see that purpose come about. That's anointing of the Holy Spirit. So every single one of us in this room has a calling on our lives. Anne spoke brilliantly about calling this morning, and Andrew did a couple of weeks ago. Every single one of us, and it's unique to you because we all play different parts in the body of Christ, okay? But in order to see that calling come about, we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit because everything that we do in the kingdom of God, everything that we do when we play the church game, everything that we do when we try and become more like Jesus and do the stuff he did is only possible in the power of the Holy Spirit. There are so many churches and so many Christians, including myself uh, from time to time, who are trying to do the stuff of the kingdom without the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way we're ever going to be able to see it happen is if we're filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is obvious, right, with things like miraculous healing. Because you and I both know in our own power, we haven't got the ability to be able to heal physical illness. I don't know if you ever tried it in your own name. I pray in the name of Ben that you'd be healed right now. It doesn't work. If you try that, it doesn't work at all. We know that that only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Same with deliverance. If you've ever come across anything that's demonic, because the coming of the kingdom of God, there's always a clash. It's a clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. You read it again and again in the Gospels. And so every time we see that happen, the only way we see people set free and delivered is by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, the, there's, a, there's a passage in Acts where someone's trying to mimic um, and copy 
the power of the apostles in terms of deliverance. And the demon turns around and says, these guys I know, I've heard of these guys, I've heard of Jesus, who are you? I know it, and then he beats them up. You know that passage? It's quite funny. Yeah, I think it's hilarious. Don't do it in your own name, because it's not going to work. You'll get beaten up. The only way we're going to do it is in the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, we get it with healing. We get it with deliverance. What about forgiveness? Have you ever tried forgiving someone in your own strength? Somebody who's really hurt you, and it's painful, and we try and do it in our own strength. It's impossible. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to do that. Everything that we do is supernatural. Think about some of the values of this church. We're trying to be like a family here in this church. I don't know if, well, this is a... Think about your own family, right? That's how difficult it is to be like family. Now, times that by 100, 200, 300 people. That's how difficult it is in a church context. The only way we're going to be a family, and by family we mean that we're unconditionally loving each other, that we are allowing each other to come as we are, exactly as we are, with um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but also we're trying to become the people we're called to be because a good family encourages you to actually grow up and become the people that you're called to be. by the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way of doing that is in the power of the Spirit. Because we've all tried it in our own nuclear families, in our own extended families. We've tried it through strength, and it just doesn't work, does it? We can only do it by the power of the Spirit. Same with evangelism. You can reason someone into the kingdom by having good arguments about their... Honestly, I think the arguments for the resurrection are some of the most convincing arguments I've ever heard in my life. I've sat in course after course after course of the life course, which we do here, which is like the Alpha course, and I've given reason after reason after reason as to why people should believe that the resurrection actually happened. And again and again and again, either people believe it and then fall away because the only reason they're believing it is because of logic and reason, or they just say, I actually don't care. It's meaningless. Doesn't, I, so what? He came back from the dead. Because the only way that they're going to come into the kingdom, the only way they're going to have this relationship with Jesus is if the Holy, power of the Holy Spirit gets involved in the process. Evangelism only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Discipleship. Try doing discipleship without the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll very quickly become quite religious. It will come. Have you heard the term heavy shepherding? Horrible term. I don't even know. It's awful. But churches get accused of being heavy, heavy shepherd, is heavy shepherding at that church. What do they mean by that? It means that they've got tons of rules and they're enforcing them without the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's impossible to do. I don't know if you've ever listened to a talk without the power of the Holy Spirit from the Bible. It's very boring. Worship without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's very dull because there's only three chords and all the songs are the same. The Spirit brings everything alive. We cannot do any of this in the church without the power of the Holy Spirit. And above all else, all we're really interested in in this church, we're interested in lots of things, but really the primary thing we're interested in in this church is helping people open themselves to the Holy Spirit. Whether you think you're a Christian or you're not, whether you're used to this kind of thing or you're not, we're trying to help people to open themselves to the presence of God because it's only in and through the presence of God that we are able to do what we're called to do and be the people we're called to be churches that get used to doing stuff without the spirit it's either in it totally ineffective or it becomes exhausting because it's religion it's just following rules week in week out this morning jerry and i were at ht which is a beautiful church in forest hill sydenham and forest hill so holy trinity sydenham forest hill and we're helping them out and we're going to be grafting a church into uh, their church there's a great little community there and we're going to be hopefully sending some people later on, and um, they're in the process of trying to help 
uh, their congregation to open themselves to the Holy Spirit. So something that we take for granted here, which is that we have an expectation that the Spirit's going to come and that we're going to pray for each other in the power of the Spirit. It's not necessarily always the case in other churches. And if there's one thing I will always try and do when I go to other churches, it's to try and have at least one person in the room encounter the Holy Spirit. Because we can sing all the songs we want to sing. We can do all the talks. And the talk this morning was excellent. I led the worship. It was average. The talk was brilliant. But it really doesn't matter unless people encounter the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we had the really awkward tumbleweed thing. We've done it here. We were doing it for a year when we first showed up, where we invite the Holy Spirit, and then we try and get people to come forward to receive prayer in the power of the Holy Spirit, and absolutely nobody comes up. And they're all looking at you with their eyes open, this tumbleweed going across the front here, and everybody feels awkward. I feel awkward. You feel awkward. And it's not really happening. Well, this morning, what we did was we just pushed on through, and we had another go. We said, we're just trying to explain it again, and then we're going to have another go at waiting on the Spirit. And then nobody came forward. And then we're going to have another go awaiting on the Holy Spirit. And then eventually three people came up. One of them broke down in tears and fell onto the floor because the power of the Holy Spirit was on him. There were other people definitely being touched by the Holy Spirit. I went to speak to him afterwards, the guy that broke down. And he said, I'm, uh, he's a governor. He actually works for KPMG. And he said, it's been a really tough couple of weeks, as you can imagine. But he said, I'm a governor on a school board. And I'm, the last month, I've just been un, under attack again and again and again. It's quite a prominent school. And he's been lied about by MPs in the area. He's been um, battling constantly to try and keep, have this school keep its integrity. And he said he came in this morning just feeling the weight of it. Couldn't carry it. It was just a heavy burden that he came in. And when he came to the front, he just felt Jesus just lift it off of his shoulders. And so he broke down crying. That's what I'm in it for. That is an encounter with the Holy Spirit which will now propel him into his week and into what he's called to do. Imagine if he had come to church and he had half-decent worship and he had a really good talk. Actually, Mike's talk was great. But he hadn't had that moment at the end where the Holy Spirit actually encountered him and did something really powerful. I think he would go back burdened. I think he'd go into Monday feeling totally exhausted and drained. If there's one thing we want people to do here, it's to encounter the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's the only way that everything that we do is possible. So if we are going to commit ourselves to the ministry of Jesus, the next question is how are we actually going to pray for people to experience things like healing, like deliverance, and the sort of stuff that we read about people experiencing when Jesus prays for them? Well, Christians who take these aspects of Jesus' ministry seriously have developed different approaches to praying for people in this way. And none of them are wrong in and of themselves. There's a particular way that we do it here, and I'm going to explain why we do it that way here in a moment. But I don't think God blesses a church because they've got the correct model or their theology is perfect. That doesn't seem to be the way God does it. I think God uses us for those who show up, really. You show up and you have faith and you're open. God is going to use you. But there, there tends to, kind of models of this type of ministry, ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, tends to fall between two camps, two extremes, really. There's firstly kind of the broadly Pentecostal approach, which is often flamboyant in style and stresses faith. Does anybody remember Todd Bentley when he was knocking around on TV? So he used to shout a lot. Um, and when Todd Bentley, uh, his ministry was in full flow, in our church at St. Mary's in Malibane, where I was at the time, we had 50 documented, medically documented healings during that time. It's a beautiful healing ministry. But if you were to watch Todd Bentley on the TV, you'd be hard-pressed to get through five minutes without switching off because it was hard to watch. Because he was shouting at people, he was declaring that people were healed before they were healed. He was pushing people over the people. It was absolute carnage. 
And the, the problem often with that kind of approach is it focuses on the anointed person to bring the power. And I'm not saying all Pentecostal churches are like that. I'm just saying that characterizes some of the way Pentecostal churches pray for people. But what it is great for is it stresses faith. Actually, when you read the Gospels, it looks a little bit like the ministry of Jesus. When the paralytic is lowered through the roof and Jesus just says to him, get up, and he gets up, it's a little bit like Todd Bentley. It's exactly what he was doing on TV the whole time. It stresses faith, but I think actually um, it focuses more on the anointed person doing the work. And I think if there's one thing we realize as we read the Gospels is everybody here gets to play. And I think the way that we get to pray is less about our model and our approach and, and shouting or declaring someone's healed before they're healed and more about those unseen foundations. Are you taking prayer seriously? Are you obeying what he's asking you to do? Are you receiving the love of the Father so that your identity is him and not in yourself? And are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? So, Pentecost approach, the other extreme is uh, liturgical models of prayer and of healing. They often take place in formal contexts like church services, um, which may not prove to be very accessible to outsiders. They're a bit impersonal. I don't know if you've ever been to a, like, a liturgical healing service. I'm sure you'll frequent those kind of things often. Um, People go in, often they don't even know what uh, they're praying again but, um, about. But again, the power to heal doesn't reside in the priestly office. Often it, that's about the priest who's anointed to pray for healing through a particular model. Again, I don't think that's helpful because I think if there's one thing Jesus wants to do, it's to equip us all to see healing happen in our lives, to equip us all to see deliverance happen. So... At St. Peter's, we like to use another model, which at one time was uh, revolutionized the way Christians pray for people. And it was developed by a guy called John Wimber. Anyone heard of John Wimber? Put your hand up. Good. So John Wimber started the Vineyard Movement of Churches in the States and was incredibly influential in um, particularly the Anglican Church, actually, in this country, but in many other um, parts of the church in this country. And so the model that they gave us many years ago now, probably 40 years ago, I think is still the best model in order to be able to pray for people in this way. And there's values that lie behind the model that help us to be able to actually engage with the Holy Spirit. Firstly, it's about compassion. So the way that we pray for people sh should show love for the person that we're praying for. So it's about engaging with people as people rather than some sort of project uh, for some sort of healing thing like formula that we've seen happen in the States and that we're going to now do on the person in front of you. It's, it's receiving someone as a person and then praying for them where they are at. Secondly, I think it's a really helpful model because it emphasizes uh, trying to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. So it's less about a formula, do this, do here, use this tool, use here. It's actually us trying to tap into what the Holy Spirit's asking us and being guided by him. And the third reason I think this model is so good is because it stresses the fact that people are to respond to what the Spirit's doing and not what we're doing. So it's about the Holy Spirit meeting with the person, not the Holy Spirit meeting with us. Okay? So what is the model? And then I'll start to talk a little bit about the kind of things we expect to happen when we pray for people in this way. Well, you, if you've been coming along for a while, you'll know what we do here. After every talk, or even sometimes after the worship, we get everybody to stand. We get everybody to shut their eyes. No magic in that whatsoever. It's just so that it cuts out distractions, so we're not looking around the room, and put our hands out in front of us. And that's just a physical way of saying, God, I'm open. It says so much more than that. If we're standing there and it's like, God, get away from me. Do not come near me. Whereas if we're like that, we're just physically being, there's no magic whatsoever. That's about as formulaic as this model gets. And then we just get people to wait on the Holy Spirit. So we're asked people to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. And we do that on the basis of Jesus' 
prayer, um, teaching his disciples to pray in Luke 11. So you know the passage where it says, ask and you will find, seek and you, wait, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. And he says, how, um, how many of you, if your son, he's talking to a bunch of dads, I think, disciples, how many of you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a scorpion? How many of you, if your son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a snake? And the answer, obviously, everyone's thinking, none of us. He says, well, if you then, even though you are evil, by which he means you really only care about yourself and you're narcissistic. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, then he says, how much more will God the Father give the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, to those who ask? And the point is there in that prayer is he says, ask, seek, ask, seek, ask, seek. So we are simply asking for more of the Holy Spirit based on the fact that Jesus told us to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Paul Paul also says later in the letter to the church in Ephesus to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. He says keep getting filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the only way that you're going to be able to live the life that Jesus is calling you to live. And then we just wait. So we'll shut our eyes, we'll open our hands, we'll ask for the Holy Spirit to come and then we'll wait. And we wait on the basis that we've noticed that the more we wait, the more spirit we receive. And I think actually it's incredibly rare, isn't it, to have space in our week where we are just waiting on the Holy Spirit and we're asking for more of his presence. I would, I would argue you want to leave time for that every single day, um, ideally more than once a day, but certainly at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. But corporately as a church, we barely ever do that. It's just noise. We just, it's constant activity, isn't it? But it's just nice to stand and to wait and ask for more of the Holy Spirit. And so we'll do that for a bit. And then as we're doing that, I would then, as if I was leading service, I'd be expecting the Holy Spirit to meet with some of you. Because I believe, I take Jesus' words to be true. I take him by what he promises to do. So how much more will God the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So if we're going to ask for the Holy Spirit, we're going to receive the Holy Spirit. So when we're doing it, we're just waiting. And we're just asking for more of your Spirit, Lord. More of your Spirit. And then after we've done that for a bit, that's when we get people forward to pray. Some of you are looking confused. The reason I'm basically teaching us all this is because I want us all to pray for each other. So that's really why we're doing it. Because last week, if you were here, everybody came forward for ministry and there was no one left to pray, right? So really, we're doing these last two weeks, last week and this week, so that we're all trained um, to how to pray. So this is how we pray when people come up. So we'll be getting people up to the front if they're responding to perhaps a prophetic word. So if you're here and you're the toilet roll, then you want to come up at the end and you want to be prayed for, for the power of the Holy Spirit to unravel you in the way that Caroline beautifully outlined in that prophetic word. Um, you'll be responding to something you feel like the Spirit's doing. Either something's hit you in this talk or something that's been read in the Bible or during the worship you're coming for. Or for absolutely anything. You just want more of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, if I wasn't leading this church and leading the service, I would be up here every week receiving the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do what I'm doing in the week. So really, let's all come forward. And that's what we did last week, and it was brilliant. So you come forward. Alice, can I use you? Do you mind? So Alice is responding because she feels like the Spirit's doing something, or she wants prayer for something. Like, for example physical healing, she's got tinnitus. And when you come up, I'm just going to ask you to shut your eyes. Thanks, Sarah. Shut your eyes. You're all right, sure, but they won't see that, will they? Shut your eyes. Brilliant. Hands open. And then we're just going to wait a little bit more, okay? And when these guys have come up, I would have asked for people to come up to pray as well. So we'll wait for a bit. Now, this is going to seem really obvious, but I'm just going to do some obvious things so that we're not doing silly things, because Christians love doing silly things. It's what characterized Christians. Um, When you come up to pray for someone, you're just going to lay your hand on the person's shoulder, okay? 
Don't lay it anywhere else. You don't need to lay it anywhere else. Just lay it on the shoulder. Don't stand behind them because that's weird. How weird does that feel? It feels really weird, right? If you stand, you don't need to stand behind them. Just stand beside them. Hand on the shoulder. Keep your eyes open. The reason we keep our eyes open is try, we're trying to track what the Spirit's doing. Um, there was a time, and I believe there'll be a time that come, it'll come again, where the Spirit was moving in such great power. As soon as you invited the Holy Spirit, a lot of people just hit the deck and start rolling around on the floor. And often you get people with their eyes closed like this, and the person they're praying for has left. Or they've rolled over there to the side, and it's like, you just look like a lemon with your hand out. But the reason we keep our eyes open is partly that, but it's also to try and track what the Spirit's doing. One of the most underrated ways that God speaks to us is through our eyes. We don't think about it much, but it happens to Jesus all the time. When he went up to the mountainside, sorry, I was just there. there. When he up on the ma- went up on the mountainside and he was asking God for followers, so he went up to pray for disciples, right? He comes down from the mountain. Who's the first people he saw? It was fishermen. What does he do? He sees something in the, in the natural, in the physical, and he calls out the supernatural. He says, come with me, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. He's just seen something in the natural. But because he's been spending time in the presence of Jesus, he calls out the supernatural. And it would, we know it's supernatural because fishermen don't ordinarily leave their trade and their family where it is and go and follow some random rabbi they've just met. It's what the Spirit was doing. So he sees it in the physical. So that's why we open our eyes. There's many other reasons, but we open our eyes for that. Um, and then... <clears throat> Once these people are they're up here, they're being prayed for, you've gone up to them, you've put a hand on their shoulder, and then all you're going to do is agree with the prayer that they've already prayed, which I've got them to pray, which is more of your spirit. And you're just going to just pray for more of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And then you're going to wait. And in your mind, you're going to make a cup of tea. Let's take a straw poll. How, does, how long does it take to make a cup of tea? Two minutes? Hands in the air. How much? Three minutes. Three minutes to make a good cup of tea, according to Samuel. So you're just going to wait for a bit. And if you want, whilst you're making the cup of tea in your mind, just throw in a few helpful prayers like, thank you for what you're doing, Lord. Notice how theologically deep that was. So bless what you're doing and ask for more of your spirit. That's all you're doing. Because it doesn't matter what you're doing, if I'm honest. Alice is encountering the Holy Spirit. That is the most important thing that happens here. Not your prayers. You don't need to preach to them. You don't need to start remembering every single Bible verse you can possibly remember and speak it over them. You don't need to start open, like asking them what they need to pray. You're just, you're just agreeing with the prayer. They've already come up to pray, which is come Holy Spirit. More of your spirit, Lord. And you're just waiting. Now, here's what you can do if you want the advanced version. That's the simple version. If you just do that, and then you go and pray for somebody else, you, you've done your job. Good job. So you do that for a bit, three minutes. Thanks for what you're doing. Bless what you're doing. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And then you toddle off to the next person. Hand on the shoulder, in front, eyes open. Thanks for what you're doing. Don't feel bad about leaving her. She's encountering the Spirit. It doesn't matter. She doesn't care. Like, and other people will come and pray for her. If you just do that, your job is done. So thank you. You're on prayer ministry team. Very good job. Now, there is an advanced part to it. So the advanced part is this. Whilst I'm making a cup of tea for three minutes in my head, I'm asking the Holy Spirit myself, God, what do you want to say to this person? And we don't know what she's come up for, right? So we're asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, will you just tell me what would be a helpful thing to say to this person? And there's many different ways God speaks to us. You'll know because it's personal to you. Often God speaks to you in a very personal way. Often people see pictures in their mind's eye. Um, sometimes a, a verse from the Bible just come, come into your head. Sometimes you'll just have a sudden insight of something. You'll suddenly be thinking about something you weren't thinking before. Okay? That's often the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit speaking to you for that person. So at some point, as you're doing that, if you feel confident, if you want to, you can then share what you feel like God's saying. So you can say, and always offer it. I, Alice, I feel like God might be saying this. And then say your piece. It doesn't need to be long. It can be like a little description of picture, a little like verse or something. And then guess what? Because she's a person, and we don't need to panic because we're all people here, you can say, does that make any sense? And then she has full permission to go, absolutely not. And you go, I'm so sorry. I'm just going to keep praying for a bit. Happens all the time. That's okay. Like, we've got to be able to practice on each other. That's what church is all about. But sometimes you say, does that make any sense? And she nods her head. Brilliant. Then just pray into it for a bit. So let's say I see a waterfall because Christians love seeing waterfalls. Alice, I just see a waterfall and I feel like the Holy Spirit is tumbling over you like a waterfall. Does that make any sense? Yes. Okay, well, Lord, I thank you that you are filling with your spirit, and I ask for more, like a waterfall, that you would come and that you would fill her. There we go, done my job. And then I go on to the next person. Um, prophecy, so there's a few rules around prophecy. Thanks, Alice, you can sit down. A few rules, uh, round of applause for Alice. A few rules around prophecy. Is it encouraging? Does it comfort? Does it build up? They're the three... It's from Paul in 1 Corinthians. If it doesn't do any of those three things, please don't share it. Um, please don't prophesy about births. Please don't prophesy about death. Please don't prophesy about marriage. I'm not saying God doesn't speak to us about that kind of thing, but it's really not the context. You don't know the person. The trust isn't there. Like, to start prophesying that kind of thing is a bit risky, so please don't do it. So is it encouraging? Does it comfort? Does it build up? If it ticks all of those boxes then share it with them. And then give them an opportunity to say, nope, doesn't make any sense. And if it doesn't make sense, pray it in. Um, Alice, sorry, come back up. Just because it's been happening in the evening, I'm doing this because it's, it's happening, so we just need to learn how to deal with it. So sometimes somebody will be up here and they're visibly being touched by the Holy Spirit, so they're starting to cry. You don't have to act this, but they're starting to cry, or they might be starting to shake. I'll talk more about this kind of thing in a second. What you don't do, right, this, that, when that happens, it's not normal for that to happen in the context of lots of people being here. It's happening because they're encountering the Holy Spirit. So don't, please don't hug them. You don't need to hug them. We don't need to rub them. We don't need to comfort them, because... That's just odd, number one, you don't really know the person. But also, this person's encountering a spirit, they don't care, they're okay. If, if there's a massive snot bubble coming out of their nose, and they're not dealing with it themselves, because this happens when people encounter the Holy Spirit, because they're crying, they're overwhelmed by the power of the Spirit, you don't need to give them a tissue. Because what the tissue says to them is, you should be embarrassed about yourself right now, clean yourself up. Don't do it. There'll be a time where the spirit, like gently, that is kind of coming to an end, then give them a tissue. That's absolutely fine. But if they're encountering the Holy Spirit, please don't try and break in and make it about them or yourself and try and, like, just let, let it happen. Like, people have the most unbelievable encounters with the Holy Spirit. And to be honest, if you were here watching it and you weren't in the flow of what's going on, you would think that person's gone absolutely mad. At the end of it, you'll find that they're totally transformed. They have no idea what happened anyway. They weren't embarrassed because they're counting the love of God. And that's what we all want to do. Thank you, Alice. You can go sit back down. <clears throat> this feels like rules. Does this feel like rules? I don't think it's rules. I think, I think we're just trying to set a few boundaries around because the most important thing is this person meets, encounters God. Um, and we don't want to get in the way. Um, just a few other little bits of advice. Take your time. Don't rush. I've talked about that. Be okay with silence. 
Um, when you pray, pray loud and in a clear voice. Don't use religious language. You don't know who you're dealing with often up here. You don't need to start using lots of different words about sanctification or anything like that. Try and do a little translation in your head and talk normally for normal people. And don't adopt a strange prayer voice with added Anglican inflection for good measure. Resist the temptation to shout, God is not deaf. It may seem obvious, but make sure you lay your hands on appropriate places. We've talked about that. Please be careful when you're praying for somebody of the opposite sex. Just be really, just be aware of how you pray. We don't have a rule where we say you only pray for the same um, gender as you. But when you are praying for somebody of the opposite, just be aware of how you're praying. And obviously, only hands on shoulders. Um, <clears throat> it's important to keep reminding ourselves it's not about us as the prayer and our own accurate prayers. Instead, it's all about trying to track the activity of God um, and simply blessing what God is already doing. Uh, good to be open to words of knowledge and prophecy. Always share. I think God might be saying this. We've talked about that. Um, don't feel bad about asking them what's happening. So this morning when he was actually the treasurer of the church, great guy. He, it's very unlike him because I know him. He hits the floor, starts weeping. Um, after the service, I just said to him, what do you feel like God was doing? And he knew what God was doing, and he was able to explain it to me. And I thought, that's amazing. I wouldn't have known that in the world myself. But if someone's having a really um, profound experience with the Holy Spirit, don't interrupt. Just let it, let it carry on. But at some point, you might just want to say, what do you feel like God's doing? And then if, they, if they've got an idea, they'll tell you. And then you say, that's amazing. I'm just going to keep praying for that. And you just keep praying into it. Treat people as people. They're people. It's people. We all just need to be comfortable with the fact that we're dealing with people, and we are people. Um, know when to ask for help, particularly if it looks like the person might be manifesting something demonic. You will know if someone's manifesting something demonic because it won't feel nice. And they, they might be swearing at you or they might be writhing. It might be incredibly painful. It might be almost speaking with a different voice. If that, To be honest, in this context, it's so small. I'll spot it or someone or I'll spot it. Someone will spot it and we'll come and help you. We have had that a little bit here at church. But when the Spirit's really moving in power, we get that quite a lot. So it's probably worth knowing about that. Um, often it's common to start in one place when we're praying for people and to end up somewhere else. For example, someone, sometimes someone will come forward with a physical problem that they want prayer for. And after some time of praying, the spirit may reveal that there's an emotional root, an emotional cause to that. Um, we don't say, if someone's come up with a physical problem, we don't say, hey, buddy, um, is there unforgiveness in your life? Because that's probably what's causing it. Don't do that. You don't need to do that. Maybe just ask some open-ended questions. Like, for example, how did you get the injury? And then be open to the Spirit as they're talking to you about it. We're trying to discern where, what it is we need to be praying about. It's fine to pray in pairs, particularly somebody who's more experienced in this kind of model of ministry and doing this, tracking the activity of the Spirit. Just follow them around. I learned how to do this by just following somebody around who knew what they were doing. And I just learned how they prayed. Above all else, do everything you can not to be weird. Experiencing the Spirit is weird enough about someone else with their hand on us exhibiting all sorts of weird behaviors as well. I'm just going to say this just so I've said it, okay? So no blowing. Don't need to blow. No blowing. The Holy Spirit can do it by his own power. You don't need to blow on people. No stamping, despite Sarah's word, lovely word, Sarah. Don't need to stamp. No stamping. God's not going to come if we stand by someone and stamp. Uh, no conducting electricity, that's that. You don't need to do it. Like, it's not like God's there and you're bringing him through you to this person. doesn't happen. No ushering, wafting. Don't need to waft. The Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit No clapping. Don't need to clap. No clicking, especially when you're praying for healing. Why do Christians click? It makes no sense to me. Be healed in the name. Don't need to do it. The clicking makes absolutely no difference. No hugging. Please don't hug them. Hug them later if you know them. Don't hug them if you don't know them. No kissing. Definitely no kissing. No rubbing. In fact, if you're in any doubt as to whether the compulsion to do something physical is okay, just assume it might be weird and don't do it. Um, because then 
we're all going to win. The point is it's about the Holy Spirit encountering people with power. It's not about us and our weird behaviors or trying to exhibit something. Oh, no, I'm going to say that. It's just rude. Okay, good. So if that's how to pray, what do people generally experience when we pray for them? Okay, this is some common manifestations. Uh, so manifestations is a Christian word. This is some physical feelings that people might feel when they encounter the Holy Spirit. Most commonly, and I'm going to throw out some Bible verses here for those of you who think I'm making this stuff up, but you can look them up later. I'm not going to read them all. Most commonly, people tend to shake or tremble in whole or part of their body when they experience the Holy Spirit. Usually, this is associated with empowerment, but if it's particularly violent, it could be indicative of pain surfacing or even of demonic manifestation. Again, you'll know if that's that. We'll know if that's that, so we're here. Isaiah 66.3, if you want to take a note. Matthew 28.4. Just examples of people shaking. Sometimes people fall over when they experience the Spirit. This is very common throughout church history. When this happens, some experience profound transformation. Some experience peace. Others remain totally unchanged. I've, had, I've, had, I've seen somebody in the power of the Holy Spirit roll from left to right of the front of the ministry time at church. I asked them what they felt like God was doing at the end. They were like, absolutely nothing. I feel totally the same as I did before. Who knows? That is just what it is. There is no great advantage to falling. There's absolutely, so falling over doesn't make you more spiritual or like something's really happening. It's just got nothing to do with it. And I'm going to talk more about that in a second. There's absolutely nothing good about pushing people. I've been to a church where somebody tried to push me over um, because they thought that it might induce the power of the spirit. Please don't do that. We don't need to do that. You wouldn't do that. You're very sensible, actually. A little bit of rubbing, but mostly sensible. There's no great advantage to falling over. Um, having said that, sometimes when people are experiencing the Spirit, they spend the whole time trying to resist falling over. So sometimes when the power of God is on someone quite powerfully, um, it's almost like they're trying to stop themselves falling over. You'll know because people start swaying, right? Almost like they're drunk. And what I found when somebody's having that and they're experiencing the Spirit, I just say to them, listen, don't worry if you fall over, I'll catch you. Just so they know they can relax a little bit. And then just make sure whatever you do, you catch them when they do fall over. Um, so that's why we stand at the side, not at the front side. So you can just catch if you need to. Um, this guy this morning could have been caught. He wasn't. Uh, <sighs> Daniel 8, 17. That's someone falling over, probably Daniel. Acts 9, 4. Sometimes people experience a measure of drunkenness in the Holy Spirit. They feel something resembling intoxication. Often this is associated with experiencing the love of God. Similarly, some people experience a feeling of heaviness and an inability to speak or walk. Properly obvious reference there is Acts 2. Um, bodily writhing or distortions of the face can be a result of inner conflict or suppressed hurt surfacing. Um, can be demonic if it's accompanied with hissing or blasphemy, uh, that sort of thing. Again, with demonic stuff, you'll know if it's demonic. Don't worry about it. Um, often it's pain that's coming up. That is Mark 9 too, if you want to look that up. Often people laugh and cry. This can be brief or light or episodic uh, and carrying on for a period, often associated with emotional release. It's evidence of healing being received or needed. Some of the most amazing times we've had in the presence of the Spirit are when people start spontaneously praising God. This may continue for hours, especially when people receive the gift of tongues. When the Spirit's moving in power, so we had times at this at my old church, Meetings just go on forever, and nobody really cared. We had that a few, a couple of months ago where we just carried on for a long time. It's just because the Spirit was coming wave after wave and doing different things. It's beautiful. And sometimes it will go into prayer for a bit, and then we'll have another little bit of time of prophecy. And then we'll have another go at praying for each other. When that's happening, it's beautiful. Just stay. Like, there's no rush. Let's just keep going. It's beautiful when it happens. 
Um, less obvious but common manifestations, some people feel a slight trembling, fluttering eyelids is often indicative of someone experiencing the Holy Spirit, deep breathing or a feeling of weight. Um, these are first signs of the Spirit's presence, and as we bless what we see God doing, often more starts to happen. So um, we do a thing here called the Life Course, and we'll take people away on a weekend away who have no context whatsoever of church, particularly no context of being prayed for in the power of the Holy Spirit or inviting the Spirit in their life, and we get them waiting on the Holy Spirit and asking for God's presence to fill them, and we see all this sort of stuff happen. This is why we know we're not making it up, or as Christians, we're just copying the next Christian doing the same thing. It just seems to be some of the common manifestations we see, physical things we see as people experience the Spirit. Um, here's the important thing. Are you, are you ready for this? Most important thing I'm going to say. <clears throat> all of these manifestations are like knee-jerk spasms of the body in response to the Holy Spirit. So you know when you hit that, whatever that is, and your leg flicks out. That's these physical manifestations. It's like knee-jerk responses to the spirit. They are not especially significant in themselves. Falling over doesn't make you more spiritual. But they are common outward manifestations of the presence of the spirit as he touches people that we've seen over the years and observed throughout history. The most important thing is what's going on in the heart. Are they being transformed in their heart? That's all we really care about. Um, along with these physical manifestations, there's a range of feelings, um, from good feelings like feeling peaceful or filled with a sense of God's love or power or heat throughout their body right the way through to feeling nothing in particular or even feeling negative emotions such as pain or emptiness, perhaps disappointment. And obviously it can be very hard, can't it, if we don't feel or experience anything or if we don't experience what we wanted to experience. And there's a range of reasons why this happens. Um, some find this whole thing a bit intimidating. It's awkward, isn't it? This is not a normal thing to do on your Sunday night with a bunch of other people that you don't knew, know too well. It makes you feel uncomfortable, which is why we do it week in, week out. So we just get used to it and it becomes absolutely normal for us and why we'd encourage everybody to do it on their own. Where, uh, where they live, I was going to say. I mean, you know you live there, but, you know, when you wake in the morning. It's always good to remember that there are more open people. There are less open people. Same in life with anything, right? Some people take time to open themselves. And the point there is you just build trust over time. And that the way we build trust is by not doing weird things when or manipulating it or creating emotional hype or hysteria. The way you build trust with people who are less open is just letting the Spirit do what the Spirit does. Uh, with those less open, oh, I've just said that. Also important to say there's times of greater and lesser power. Um, that just seems to be the way it is. I don't know why. Um, I said something last week. I don't know if I agree with it, but I think it's probably true. Um, but renewal in church, I think, um, tends to happen when there's a bunch of people in a church who are opening themselves to the Holy Spirit more and more and more. Um, we often think it's something that we need to pray to God for. Would you come and bring renewal? Not revival. Revival's different. That's where people hit the floor in the streets uh, and experience God and they'd never been to church in their life or they had no idea they needed it and then they try and find a church to work out what's going on. Renewal is in the church where there seems to be lots of power, lots of power of the Holy Spirit. I think that's just a like a, a culture of opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit, which I think is encouraging for us because I think in the evening in particular we have this culture of people opening themselves, which is beautiful. And the more of the Holy Spirit we receive, the more we're going to see the ministry of Jesus out on the streets in our workplaces, with our friends, with our colleagues, the more testimonies of healing we'll have, the more deliverance we'll see, that sort of thing. Okay, oh, sorry, last little bit. 
Um, what about those of us who feel a degree of pain as the Holy Spirit meets us? Um, important to say this because some pe- sometimes people do. So you'd be crying when you experience the Holy Spirit or you feel a pain often in the stomach. Um, why does this happen? Well, it's often because the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on something that he wants to heal and release. A little bit like a surgeon's scalpel on something that's infected. It's just momentary pain, but it brings out all of the toxic stuff. Um, so sometimes it does feel, and it's a process. Sometimes it happens like that in one session. Sometimes it happens over time, which is fine. And that is the way it is. We all carry traumatic and painful experiences from earlier in our lives, don't we? Um, and some happen so early that as adults, we're not even aware that they happened. But carrying hurt around isn't good for us, and the Holy Spirit wants to bring healing. So it's him just releasing healing in us. He wants to remove the power of our hurts and even the memory of them. And sometimes this can be a bit painful. Um, but it's important to go through that process. And it's important for those of us praying for each other to be really sensitive as we pray. So just to finish up, and then we're going to pray in a second, all of these observable responses to the Spirit's presence are important indicators of what God is doing. So I'm always encouraged when there's lots of physical manifestations or people get emotional in church because it means the Spirit's doing something. So it's good. But... They are not the most important thing. God is primarily concerned with renewing and changing our inner beings. The outward manifestations are encouraging because we can see that God is at work, but the transformation of the heart is what really matters. Um, All of these kind of experiences aren't a guarantee of healing. And obviously, we're not praying for people to have an experience. Instead, it's all about praying for the power of God to come to do what the Spirit wants to do. So that's really all we're trying to do. We're trying to follow God. We're opening ourselves to the power of Spirit. We're blessed. Uh, We're blessing what we see God doing. We're joining in best as we can. Does that make sense? I never do this, but are there any questions? I never do it because you never know what you're going to get. Yes, sir. I can see how that's confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Sure. It's like the knee thing, right? Yeah, it's just your body reacting to the spirit. Sorry about that. Some people do have strange things that they seems to happen when they experience the spirit. Any other questions? That's a disclaimer. If you see Sarah shaking her head, don't run out of the room. You might be spot on, but we'll never know. Any others? John. No, that's helpful. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Um, so when you come up, just find, just try and, you know, at school you have to do the windmill thing. Just do a bit of that so we've got a bit of space around each other. I mean, you don't have to do it. But just think to yourself, I need a bit of space here. Um, And I'll be honest, people aren't falling over every week. So if you are praying in front, that's fine. It's better than behind. Um, But ideally, you'd be by the side just in case. Thanks, Sean. Yeah.
yeah, there's patterns sometimes, and it's not there's no rule book for this, but sometimes there's patterns as to what we're seeing physically that's happening in the spiritual. And so sometimes people will lift up their hands, and often that's because uh, they're worshippers, right? Often they're wor- lead worshippers, so worship leaders. Um, some people running, you know, about the gospel um, feet feet fit with the gospel. So when when people run, often it's evangelists. I have no idea why, but sometimes it, like, it just seems to be the case, which is odd. Um, there was another. Yeah, if people are kneeling and they're bowing, often that's just somebody saying, "I'm just, I'm, I'm giving my, li- I'm sacrificing my life to you. I'm giving my life to you." It's a, a sign of them surrendering, um, yeah, and submission to God. But you know, like it's not always the case, but sometimes it is. Many more. Joel. Yeah, I think partly it's, um, on a human level, it's nice to know that someone's with you. Um, So it's as basic as knowing that you're not on your own and that someone's with you and blessing what God's doing. I think there's loads of precedent in the New Testament of laying on hands being very significant. And we're just trying to be obedient to what we read in there. Um, I think if if you're praying with someone, the prophetic unlocks stuff. So if you are able to hear the voice of God, then as we... As we um, give prophetic words, it sometimes help people. It helps people open themselves. I've noticed when the power when the power of God's not moving particularly in a particularly powerful way, um, often the way to start getting it going is the prophetic. It's when we start to rely on the prophetic in our church, um, because if they start having accurate words, somebody might be really closed off and not open. But if they have, if they're given a word of knowledge that's spot on, I'm telling you now, they're going to be open as soon as they get that. Probably. Um, so it starts to release what the Spirit's doing. Have I missed anything? Anyone knows what they're talking about? Anything I've forgotten? It's all imperfect, right? Like, there's loads of models for praying for people. This is I just think this is the best one in terms of us getting out of the way and letting the Spirit do. But there's, there's loads. And we'll be doing stuff that's wrong, but that's the beauty of God, right? Because God just works in and through us regardless. I think that's really the point. But this is the way we're doing it at St. Peter's, if that's okay. Um, because I think it's the best one out there. And this is the model. You, you could use this out, out of the church. Like, you don't have to. It doesn't need to be limited to here in the church. It'd be something that we, as we pray for people, you might want to speed it up a bit because people are busy and they don't know what you're doing and it's weird. But you, you can use this model as you pray outside. So let's stand and we're going to pray for each other. <coughs> let's shut our eyes and open our hands. Let's be open to what God wants to do. If you need to go, feel absolutely free to go. Don't feel like you're forced to say we'll run a bit late. Um, And I think anyone responding to any of those prophetic words, I'm going to invite you forward in a minute and we're going to pray. God started some stuff last week in terms of obedience and in terms of identity and receiving the love of the Father. And if that was you and you did that last week I think it's good to come up again this week and we're just going to pray that God continues what he's doing there Um, for the rest of us I felt like God prompted me earlier that we should bring before him things that we're trying to do in our own strength so just between you and God now what is it that you're trying to do that feels like a struggle feels like you're doing it in your own strength
just hand that to God. And just hear him say this, it's not by power, it's not by might, it's by my spirit. Just invite the spirit in. Come Holy Spirit. We cannot do this without you. Come and fill us. Let's wait for a bit.